It's a fork in the road that we call out in hopes of something more. Shattered with heartache, envious of what another has, wavering on how truth is harnessed. Prayer blankets us with comfort in hopes that what is desired could be made real. We call out in hopes of an answer, an answer that will move us forward or keep us still. Variety is a belief summiting beyond numbers we cannot count. We all call out for something. In all walks of life, we hope for one answer. Yet, it's beyond us what the answer will be. Okay, we are in the middle of a conversation about prayer. And I think prayer gets so fuzzy and so weird for us sometimes. And, and I think one of the reasons that you and I struggle to pray is we're like, I don't even know if I'm doing it right. You know, I mean, did I say the right words? And if I had said it differently or if I had held my mouth sideways, I mean, oh, would, would God have answered my prayer better if I had I, I just don't even know really what I'm doing. And especially if you're fairly new to faith, you're going, this is so weird. You know, you kind of talk out loud and God's supposed to listen. I don't, what? Would it surprise you? Would it surprise you that the disciples struggled with the very same thing? That in the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, we only have one recorded moment in which the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to do this. And guess what the topic was? Prayer. Because apparently as they'd watched Jesus pray, as they'd seen Jesus do amazing things after he prayed, they're, they're in that moment, they're going, apparently we don't understand this. Apparently we don't get this right. And so they literally grab Jesus and they say, Jesus, look, look, teach us how to do what you're doing. Teach us how to pray because apparently we don't understand this. And so you and I have the opportunity now because of their question to dive into the moment and go, what did Jesus say when his disciples said, teach us to pray? And you and I get to unpack his answer. You ready? So grab your Bibles. Uh, Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. It's the first book of what we call the New Testament. It's the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. And as we get there, some of you are going to recognize the passage and go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the Lord's prayer. That's what that is. That's the Lord's uh, prayer. Exactly. That's Jesus' instructional moment on prayer. How many of you say, hey, you know what, Lynn, I've got the Lord's prayer kind of sort of memorized, sort of, kind of. Yeah. All right. Did you know that how you have the Lord's prayer memorized says a whole bunch about you? It does. Uh, The Lord's prayer goes something like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, next word. Did you hear that? So if you said debts, you're a Protestant, and if you said trespasses, you're a Catholic. (laughs) Just saying, says a lot about you, okay? Um, So it's the Lord's Prayer. Now here's something else that's really, really interesting. Did you know that you and I were never intended to memorize it? That was never Jesus' intent when he gave the Lord's Prayer. 
He was actually giving you and me a model of prayer, a prescription of prayer, and saying, hey, it should go something like this. But he never intended that you and I would memorize it and then stand at football games going, our Father. No, that was never it. Matter of fact, I think every time we go, our Father, which are, Jesus is going, again, again. Are you kidding me? I've heard this a thousand times. It was never meant to be something that we do rote. It was always intended to kind of give us some guidance and direction on what prayer was supposed to be like. So what we're going to do in the next minute is just unpack that. Because I think in this moment you may get some huge insight to go, wait, whoa, whoa. I had no idea I was supposed to pray about that. I had no idea that that was part of the conversation with God. Okay, so here we go. It's uh, Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, here's what it says. You ready? This then is how, not what, this is how you should pray. Don't memorize this, don't memorize this. Learn from this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, here's the... Jesus starts, and the first thing he says about prayer to us is, is that as you can begin to engage God in prayer, that you ought to be saying, hey, God, look, 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 you're good. You are just flat out amazing. And I'm just going to spend a portion of my time telling you what an amazing, awesome, incredible, unthinkable God you are. Isn't that interesting that Jesus begins prayer, and as he prescribes prayer, begins with this idea of telling God how tremendous he is. Because you and I don't usually begin prayer there, do we? Most of us begin prayer, do prayer, and then end prayer with one topic. This is what I need, this is what I need. Would you please, 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 pretty please. And yet Jesus says, you know, if you do that, you're skipping a lot. Because really, one of the things you probably ought to do somewhere in your prayer life is just stop and say, God, you're amazing. You're a remarkable God. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus uses this word hallowed. Hallowed be your name, which is really funky, right? I mean, that's just, a, that's just a Bible word thing, right? I mean, when's the last time you went, dude, that was a really hallowed play. <laughs> wow. That was a hallowed service at church today. You just know we don't do it, right? I mean, it's, it's a word that's lost to us. But let me just see if I can help you with how hallowed simply means respect, 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 beyond respect. It's saying if I were to show as much honor as I possibly can, if I was to tell you how amazing you are, if I was to, if I was to do everything in my power to show reverence to you, it wouldn't be enough because you're hallowed. You're beyond my ability to tell you how good you are. You're hallowed. That's what the word means. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. When Jesus said this to his Jewish disciples, they got it. They totally understand this moment. As a matter of fact, within Jewish culture, just to give you an idea of how hallowed they held the name of God, that when a scribe was copying Scripture, they would write Scripture, and when they came to the name of God, They would break their pen and throw it away. They would then get a pen that had never been used. You got to think, guys, this is before Bic. Uh, This is this is this is when that's a you know, you had to hand fashion the writing instruments, 
and they would get another pen, they would dip it in the well, and then they would write the name Yahweh, not putting in the vowels because no man deserved to actually print the name of God. And then they would break that pen, throw it away, and get another pen and start writing the rest of Scripture. See, hallowed was not an issue for them. They got hallowed. But when Jesus says this, here's what you got to get. When Jesus says this opening line in what we call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, they were stunned. They were shocked. Not at hallowed, at the word that Jesus used for Father. Because when Jesus said, our Father, he used the word Abba, which is the most familiar, most common, most low term for dad possible. Now, this is kind of hard for us to get because we just use dad for everything. So, so maybe this is more like Papa, or it's like Pops. It, it's, it's this absolutely familial and familiar reference to God. And so Jesus, think about this, Jesus in this moment says, most high, all-seeing, everywhere, omnipotent, omnipresent God who we get to call dad. And his disciples were stunned that, that the God who deserved hallowed could be called daddy. And they went, wow, you mean that's prayer? You mean I get to go in front of that God and call him dad? The closest I can explain this to you guys would be if you were the president's child. Think about this for a moment. Your father is the most powerful man in the world. He pushes buttons and things blow up. Right? But you're his child, which means you get to crawl up in his lap and you get to go, hey, dad, see my dolly. Hey, Dad, help me out with tic-tac-toe. And Jesus in this moment is saying to you and I this remarkable thing about prayer, that you and I have been invited into the presence of the most awesome, high, holy God, which God, you can't forget that. I think we forget that sometimes. But have been now given the privilege of calling him Dad. And it was shocking information. You want to hear something even more shocking? That that God has your best interests at heart. That that God has invited you to pray because at his very core, he wants the absolute best for you. Some of you guys have heard me uh, tell you the story of a guy named George Bedlian who ended up being my mentor and probably one of the most influential guys in my life in ministry, but I don't know that I've told you how I first met George. I was serving at a church uh, up in Scottsdale. And uh, I was serving as a layperson. I couldn't find a church that would hire me. Uh, and so they had approached me and said, would you serve as a volunteer teaching the junior high group? To which I said, well, I guess, but you need to know the first moment I get a job, I, I mean, I'm leaving. And they said, we, it's okay. We just need help with kids. So here I am serving as a unpaid volunteer in the junior high group. Lo and behold, uh, the senior pastor is dying with cancer. He's been home the last five months, uh, just slowly uh, moving toward his deathbed. In the process of that, he became frustrated with the present youth pastor. And so he ends up uh, making a decision. They release the youth pastor. I get a phone call at about nine o'clock at night 
from the senior pastor who says, can you come to my house and meet with me? I said, well, sure. I get to his house. He says, hey, Lynn, uh, we're going to hire you to be the interim youth pastor. You're going to fill in for this guy. We've got this whopping salary. You ready for this? $18,000 a year. 18 big ones, baby. And no benefits. Are you up for the job? And I said, man, with an offer like that, how can I turn it down? So now I show up at church the next morning. I show up at the office. And they say, who are you? Remember, I was just a volunteer. Who are you and why are you here? And I said, I'm the new youth pastor. They're like, what? And I explain the story. Boy, you talk about angst. You talk about people kind of going, hey, how come you didn't ask? And why didn't the senior pastor tell us? And blah, blah, blah. And then I meet George. And I said, I guess you're my new supervisor. And I explain the whole story and what I'm supposed to be getting paid. And he says, but he gave you no benefits. I said, no, there's no benefits. And he said, Lynn, you're, you're newly married. Somewhere in here, you're probably going to pop out a baby. Well, your wife is, but, you know, somewhere. <clears throat> How can you do this with no benefits? And I said, by faith. George ends up going to the elder board. And he says to him, hey, look, you know, I know it's kind of unfortunate how Lynn got hired, but, you know, we got to get this guy benefits. And, I, you know, I, I understand. I, I think the elder board was frustrated that they hadn't been consulted and brought in the loop, and they just said no. Not interested. The next day, the next day, George Bedlian went into the human resources office and said, we're giving this young man benefits, and I'm going to pay for him out of my salary. Guys, that's crazy. What did he get for that? What did he get for that? that? That did nothing but cost him. And I knew in that moment, I knew that man cared about me. That he would do something on my behalf that he didn't have to do, but he simply did for me. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this moment. Man, you should be spending some time at the front end of your prayer telling God how awesome he is because you realize you've got a heavenly father who does for your benefit because he loves you so the first thing the kind of the first prescription the first the first element that jesus says ought to be part of your prayer life and maybe 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 just maybe ought to be the first thing you ever bring to god in prayer is the moment where you say hey god you're good i'm just I'm, before i say anything else before i ask you anything else before i before i put anything out there i just want to say god you you are you are amazing and I'm so glad to have you in my life, a God like you. And then Jesus moves on. And the second thing that he's going to say to us that ought to be a part of our prayer life, that, that as we go and we do this thing of prayer, not only do we need to find a moment where we say, God, you're good, we need to find a moment where we say, God, you're right. See, here's the look. You're smarter than me. You know things I don't know. And I'm just going to say this before I even begin to ask my request. I'm just saying, God, you're right. You're right. And, and, and if we're disagreeing in the next few minutes, I'm probably wrong because you're right. Here we go. Verse 9 again. This is then is how you should pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here you go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. You're always saying, look, look, look. Whatever I'm about to say to you right now, whatever conversation, let, here's, here's my answer. Let's do your plan, not my plan. Because you're right, and I'm probably not understanding the moment. And look, look what Jesus said. Jesus said, you ought to be saying to God, your will be done on earth the same way it's done in heaven. Let me, how do you think God's will gets done in heaven? I mean, if God is sitting there on his throne, creator of the universe, all the angels are gathered around and he says, I need a cup of coffee. How fast does that get taken care of? And how many angels turn immediately and go, I'm, go I'm first to the Keurig. I mean, I'm the guy. I I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking, if God in heaven even speaks, it immediately gets done. And Jesus said, that when you and I go to God, that what we ought to be saying to God is, God, look, 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 here's the deal. You're right. You're right. And I'm just telling you right now, your plan's going to win this conversation. We're going to do what you want to do. Your will be done. And Jesus meant it, I think, even more specifically. Your will be done, not just on earth, in my life, the way your will is done in heaven. I had a friend a while back, and we were just talking church together, and he shared with me uh, about an employee on his staff. And he said, Lane, here's the crazy part. I love this guy. I love that. I mean, he's just a great guy, and if you ever met him, you just go, man, you know, he's the type of guy you want. He's your best friend. The problem is this. I can't get him to do anything I tell him. Every time I give him any sort of instruction, it's like he does the opposite he decides that he knows something I don't know. He decides that somebody else is smarter than me, and so he does what they say instead of what I asked him to do. So, Lynn, I, I, we had this thing where, all, you know, in our parking lot, it's designed such a way that a lot of our water all gets to one corner and then runs down into the catch basin. And because it's such a huge volume, it's like carving the Grand Canyon down the side of our water retention. And so I said to him, look, here's, you need to do something there because all the soil's just filling up the water retention. And, and I said, look, here's the deal. If you go to the landscaper, he's going to tell you he can just put some rocks there and it'll solve it. It won't. There's too much water. I'm just telling you what, you're going to have to get some concrete. You're going to have to make kind of a sleuth or something. But don't let that guy talk you into just putting rocks there. I checked back in with him a week later. And I go, hey, uh, how's that project going with the water and stuff? And he goes, oh, it's done. And I said, what'd you do? And he says, uh, we put rocks there. And I went, wait a minute. I mean, that's exactly what I told you. That. And he says, no, the, I talked to the landscaper. The landscaper said the rocks would work. He said, we had another project at the church, and uh, they were building kind of a sound booth thing. And I walked in in the middle of it, and they were taking the sound booth all the way up to the ceiling. And I immediately said, hey, you know, wait a minute. Uh, that's going to block the sprinklers. I guarantee you the fire marshal is going to have a hissy fit if you take that wall up to the ceiling and block the sprinklers in the room. So you need to leave an 18-inch clearance. I walked back in the room three weeks later. Guess where the wall went? I went back to the guy, and, and I said, what happened? He says, no, no, no. The, the maintenance crew that was working on the wall said it'd be okay. Two weeks after that, Fire marshal showed up, said, rip that wall out. He said, Lynn, no matter how clear I was, no matter how definitive I was in my history, he always thought there was somebody else who was smarter. He always thought his idea trumped my idea. I said, what did you, you end up doing? He said, I released him. 
I wonder. I wonder how many times our prayers have gone silent. Because when God gave you and me the answer, we decided we knew better than him. We listened to a friend's advice more than we listened to God's direction. And God just said, look, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm, why am I going to spend time with you in prayer? Why am I going to answer that? Why am I going to direct you? And you're simply going to go off and do whatever society says or what your friend says or whatever makes sense to your heart. And so suddenly prayer feels silent. And I wonder if the most powerful moment in your or my life would be to do exactly what Jesus just said. That we would begin our prayers somewhere and say, hey God, uh, you're right. Your will be done. See, the reason I'm coming to you right now is I want to know what you want me to do because I'm planning on doing it. And I wonder how many of our prayer lives that would change. So it starts with, hey, God, you're, you're good. And it moves to, God, you're right. You're Lord and I'm not. Third, faith, third element, third thing Jesus invites us to pray about is simply this. I need you. I need you. I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I'm not sure I can see what I need to see. I, I'm struggling with stuff, and it's terrifying, and I need you. Back to the passage. It's verse 11. Here's what it says. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So stop and think about this a minute. So Jesus says to his disciples, look, you, you can pray to God and just say, hey God, look, I, I, I need lunch. I mean, think about that for a second. How mundane is that? I mean, how simple? I mean, he's just saying, look, I, whatever it is, Whatever it is that has concern for your heart, no matter how simple it is, no matter if you go, wow, that's just too small for God, he's going, no. If it concerns you, it concerns your Father. And you have an open invitation to pray to God about anything that's got your heart worried. Which means, it's okay to pray and say, God, I'm just telling you, there's tension in the carpool. My, my six-year-old daughter is facing her first day at school, and she's terrified. God, please be with my little six-year-old daughter. And God's saying, look, look there, there's nothing too mundane. There's nothing so small that your heavenly Father's not willing to have that conversation. Give us this day our daily bread. Because, because you ready for this? Because if I'm going to navigate this day, I need you. And then the second part. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is why I do not want to quote the Lord's Prayer. Because I do not want God forgiving me the way I forgive others. You realize what you just said? Hey, God, forgive me the way I forgive other people. Are you crazy? I'm a horrible forgiver. I don't know about you. I am a horrible forgiver. See, I'll work through something, and I'll think I've totally forgiven someone, and then all of a sudden you bring up their name like five years later, and I go, you're right. They're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and I haven't even gotten even with them yet. And then I remember, oh, crumb, I forgave them. And I'm just, I don't want God forgiving me the way I forgive others. See, what I'd rather say is, hey, God, forgive me the way you forgive. And then help me to forgive 
the way you forgive. What you realize, guys, and this is so cool, is that every one of us probably comes to prayer having to say, hey, I've screwed up. I'm just telling you, I haven't lived the way I should have lived the last 24 hours. I haven't behaved the way I should have behaved. And Jesus says, hey, somewhere you got to have that conversation and heal that relationship. Somewhere in there, you got to talk about it. Uh, you, you ever had a fight with your wife? And then all of a sudden, the tension's there? And, and you just think, hey, if, if, if we don't talk about it, it'll get better. It'll get better. And it never does, right? And that's how it is with your Heavenly Father. He just says, Some, somewhere in here, you're going to have to talk about that. The thing you're doing that you shouldn't do, the place you went you shouldn't have gone, the thing you said that you shouldn't have said. You've got to talk that one through. You've got to ask for forgiveness. And guys, here's the, here's the cool part. Is that God forgives really, 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 really well. Matter of fact, there's this moment uh, that all Jewish people would have been familiar with on the Day of Atonement. Uh, in which they would take the scapegoat. So here's what would happen. They would take one goat and they would kill the goat. They would do a blood sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then they would take a second goat and they would ceremonial place all the sins of Israel on the scapegoat. And then the priest would take the scapegoat and walk it off into the desert. A little while later, the priest would come back alone. And you can just imagine a little boy turning to his dad and saying, Dad, where's the goat? And the answer would be, gone. And you realize that Jesus was our high priest who took our sins away. And when you and I ask, where are my sins? The answer is, gone. So Jesus brings us to this third moment, this third experience in prayer in which you and I have said, God, you're good, God, you're right, and God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you steering me. I need you forgiving me. I need you. And then interesting, Jesus introduces a fourth element. As a matter of fact, most of us who know the Lord's Prayer have probably never heard this, but when Jesus taught them this lesson, he didn't stop at the end of what you and I call the Lord's Prayer. He actually went on to teach them one more lesson. So grab your Bibles real quick and flip over because Luke records what Jesus said next. Luke chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles open, it'll be to your right. If you closed your Bibles, then just simply go to the back and work to the left again. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. And if you look right above it, you can see that's where Luke records the Lord's Prayer. But then he records this subsequent conversation, the next thing that Jesus said. So Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose, suppose a friend, uh, suppose you have a friend and you, go, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, 
He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So he says, look. He says, no, 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 no. And you keep knocking. Come, I need help. I need. And he says, eventually, because of your shame and because you are so pretty, he'll get up and help. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to them. So get the moment. Jesus said, look. There's going to be moments in which you're going to say, hey, God, you are good. There's going to be moments in which you're going to say, God, you're right. There's going to be moments in which you're going to say, God, I need you. But now Jesus unpacks this fourth, and he says, there's going to be moments you're going to say, they need you. And he tells this story of a man whose friend comes to visit him in the middle of the night. And when his friend comes, he hasn't eaten yet. And so he goes to his pantry, he looks in the pantry, there's nothing there. And he's already eaten. He doesn't need anything for himself, but his friend's starving. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house in the middle of the night and begins to knock on his door and says, look, my friend over here needs some food. He needs some help. I don't have any way to help him myself. I need some food. And the guy inside says, no way. It's crazy. It's in the middle of the night. My kids are in. No. And Jesus says, you keep knocking. And eventually he'll get up and help the friend. Here's why that's powerful. Because you and I have friends. You and I have people in our lives who right now are going through the darkest moment of their lives and they have no idea how to pray. And it now becomes incumbent upon you and me to pray on their behalf. To go to our Heavenly Father and say, hey, no, 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 no. It's not about me. I've already eaten supper. My friend needs help. My friend, my friend is in the middle of a situation, my friend's in the middle of a struggle, and the most powerful, amazing thing that could possibly happen is if you would show up right now, God. And so I'm asking on behalf of my friend. My friend's kids are in the middle of rebellion, and God, if you would just turn a heart. My friend just lost their job, and there, and there is no margin in their lives, and God, if you would simply, I mean, this would be the moment in which you could be seen for who you are if you would show up in my friend's life. And I'm just, I'm praying on behalf of my, would you please? Would you please, would you please, on behalf of my friend? I've got a friend. She actually works on staff. Her name's Michelle Anderson. Her daughter, Lauren, was diagnosed with leukemia about two years ago. And... Uh, they went through the whole bone marrow thing. It's, it's been this horribly hard journey. And, and, it, and if two years of struggling with doctors and transplants and everything else wasn't enough, recently she's been having horrible time breathing, and the doctors came back and just basically said, she's got to have a lung transplant. But we're not even sure that anybody will give a lung transplant to someone who's just had to go through all the chemo and all the radiation she's had to go through and just, just had the bone marrow. And they said, this may be impossible. So here's the deal. I don't sit on the board that decides about, I, I, there's, I can't even cast a vote. I have no idea how to do surgery and transplant a lung. But you know what I know how to do? I know how to pray. I know how to ask my heavenly father to get involved on behalf of my friend. 
the power of prayer. And there's a really interesting thing that Jesus says in this moment. He says, hey, if at first God's not in, just keep it up. Keep going at it. And look, you need to understand, Jesus isn't saying, look, you'll wear God out. You know, God will just get tired of you asking, and he'll go, okay. It's not what it is. God loves tenacity. God loves when you and I just say, this is a big deal, God, and I'm not going to let it go. He loves the effort. Maybe this helps. When Josh was about four, uh, for Christmas, we bought him a basketball, you know, one of those Fisher-Price basketball backstop plastic things. And uh, we took it out the backyard, and here's Josh trying to shoot the bat. I mean, it's, it's, it, it was pitiful to watch, and shooting the bat. And I thought, all right, we just bought this thing for him about two years too early. And he wouldn't stop. That kid was so determined to get the ball. I mean, he's just out there to over. And I'm sitting and watching and seeing him struggle. And finally, about the time I realized he wasn't going to give up, I went over and I picked up my son and I held him up to the rim and let him slam dunk it. And he was thrilled. He was like, ah. guess what we did for the next hour? How cool would it be in your life if God saw your tenacity in prayer and said, I'll hold you to the rim. See, I'm going to change the outcome because you prayed so hard. God, you're good. God, you're right. I need you. They need you. Here's my challenge. What if, what if for the next week when you and I pray, remember last week we said, hey, would you take five minutes in the morning? What if you and I walked through that very simple prescription? What if we spent time telling God, God, you are so amazing. I'm so glad to have you in my life. God, you're right. So whatever you're going to tell me today, you just need to know I'm already planning to obey. You're right. I need you. See, i got stuff I'm going to face at work. I've got stuff going on with the kid. I need you. They need you. And just see if our prayer lives get ignited by following the model that Jesus gave us. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment. And thank you. Thank you for taking the time Thank you that when the disciples asked, you paused in your schedule and said, let me, let me explain what this ought to be about. Father, you're good. Father, you're right. I need you. They need you. God, help us to be better in prayer. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.